Hello, welcome to the Enoch Pratt Free Library. We have with us Johns Hopkins, Executive Director of Baltimore Heritage, John Vidal, Archaeologist with the Lewis Berger Group, and Frank McNeil, Community Consultant for PNC Bank. Our discussion today is about the Patterson Park Archaeology Dig that took place in May of this year and PNC Bank's Legacy Project. So first, what is the Patterson Park Archaeology Project and how did it come about? Hi, thank you. This is, uh, this is Johns Hopkins with Baltimore Heritage. Um, we are in the middle of celebrating the bicentennial of the War of 1812, uh, and in particular, the Battle of Baltimore, which was, uh, which was decisive in that overall war. Um, I like to joke, uh, one of the reasons that we're not speaking the Queen's English uh, today is the fact that 200 years ago, uh, Baltimoreans rallied to save our city from being burned and ultimately to, uh, to repel the British and keep, uh, keep America as an as a independent and free country. Um, part of that story is, of course, uh, Fort McHenry and the creation of the Star-Spangled Banner and the defense there. The other part of the story that doesn't, uh, doesn't get as much attention these days is the defense against the British land invasion uh, in the War of 1812 and in, in 1814, to be specific. Um, there were uh, uh, 15,000 uh, Baltimoreans had dug themselves into Patterson Park, what was then called Hampstead Hill, uh, in a mile-long defensive uh, position that ultimately repelled the British land invasion coming in. And we felt like at the bicentennial, it was time to tell that story again. Um, it's kind of funny, a hundred years ago, uh, Baltimore celebrated the, the centennial of the War of 1812. And at that point, uh, if you lived in Baltimore a hundred years ago, everybody would have known that Patterson Park was Hampstead Hill. And everybody would have known that Hampstead Hill was, uh, along with Fort McHenry, the two uh, uh, major points of defense that saved the city. Today, the last hundred years, we've sort of lost a little bit of that knowledge, and we think of it as a great park, uh, a great sledding hill, uh, but, uh, but we felt like the time was right um, during this bicentennial uh, year to try to uh, get back at some of that history uh, so that people can, can go sledding with their kids and also know that it's one of the really uh, great spots in American history. Can you tell us more about the dig? What were you looking for and what did you find? Hi, I'm uh, John Bedell with Lewis Berger. The main thing we were looking for in the dig was the remains of the earthworks that were dug to defend the city. As John said, it was a mile-long perimeter but most of it has disappeared because of the development of the city. But one piece of it was preserved because of Patterson Park. There are a bit of earthworks you can still see there today, and one of our questions was, is that the original earthwork, or was that built for the centennial celebration when the cannons were installed in 1914? So we went out looking for those earthworks. We were also hoping to find some other remains of the people who were there. This was 15,000 people from Baltimore who camped along those defensive positions for several weeks. So we thought there ought to be some trace of those people behind their fortifications. We began with a high-tech approach. We used ground-penetrating radar to try to locate traces of the earthworks under the uh, current ground surface. When you dig a ditch, you can fill it back in, but it will never be exactly the same as it was before you started. And with modern archaeological methods, we can recover that ditch later on. So we went out with ground penetrating radar, and we were able to locate 
a buried ditch running just about where we expected the fortifications to run. We then went back to the site and dug by hand in selective spots to try to locate those earthworks, see what they were like, see how, see how far underground they were. We had a lot of help in that work. We had more than 100 volunteers digging with us out there and several hundred school children who pitched in to help us. So it was a real community effort. And we did locate that trench from 1814. We found actual uh, the bottom of that trench, the sides of it that they dug to defend the city. And we found several artifacts that we're fairly certain come from those defenders, a gun flint, a musket ball, things like that, that were dropped by the defenders in 1814. Another thing we found was the remains of a butcher's shop, uh, Loudon Slogger's butcher's shop. That neighborhood is still known as Butcher's Hill because his butcher's shop was then on the edge of the city and uh, he built it there, and it was then the headquarters for that section of the defense during the battle. And we found the foundations of that butcher's shop and a number of artifacts that came from that. So we're really pleased that we were able to recover so much of uh, what we were looking for, more than 700 feet of the earthworks we were able to map out. Well, you touched upon this a little bit, but how did the project involve surrounding neighborhoods and schools? We knew going into this that uh, that this archaeology project was going to be um, was going to be a little bit different and and very much special, uh, in the sense that we're, we were going to be digging in an incredibly central part of Baltimore City with a lot of neighborhoods around it, uh, a lot of people around it. Uh, one of the great things about the park, and I think one of the things that makes the park so wonderful is that it's so well used by the by the people around it. You've got the dog walkers and the yoga folks and you've got the fishermen and the kite flyers. And we we knew going in that uh, that what we wanted this to be is we wanted to do technically the right thing archaeology wise, uh, but we also wanted to make sure that it was everybody's project. That this was really uh, Baltimore City's project and not uh, uh, some not not a small group that was doing this uh, interesting esoteric dig. So uh, so a couple things uh, I think as John mentioned, we had uh, roughly about a hundred volunteers. Many of them uh, came to work by by walking or biking over, living right next door. We worked with neighborhood associations to, first of all, make sure that the word got out um, We didn't uh, of what we were doing. We didn't want people to wake up one Monday morning and see a bunch of uh, folks in the, in, the, uh, in the park with shovels digging holes uh, and then thinking, what is, uh, what is going on here? Um, we were especially thrilled to work with uh, over a dozen uh, city schools, and we had all told upwards of almost 900 school kids come out uh, one of the really neat parts about that was um, they came out and they learned about archaeology uh, and they learned how to do archaeology, but the neat thing was that they actually did archaeology. Um, we didn't, this was not uh, just some school project or school program. This was hired professional archaeologists and the kids were in the trenches digging scientifically, methodically. They were sifting, they were learning. They were, they were doing everything that our professional archaeologists were doing. Um, uh, so many of them loved what they did on their field trips uh, that they came back with their parents in the, uh, on the weekends and, and dug more. 
And uh, I have to say one, one uh, uh, kind of funny thing was we emphasized that we were doing archaeology, not paleontology, which is digging for dinosaurs. Uh, and we, we sort of wanted to make that clear that this was archaeology about the humans, not about dinosaurs. And lo and behold, early on, um, one little boy was digging down and found a uh, small plastic dinosaur from about, you know, maybe 1985. So all of a sudden, all of our archaeology quickly became a paleontology dig, at least for that little, uh, that little segment of it. But it was wonderful to have so many kids involved. That sounds great. Mm -hmm. um, again, you talked a little bit about this at the beginning, but why was the War of 1812 so important? The real deep question in the War of 1812 was whether the United States would be a fully independent country or a sort of satellite or former colony of Britain. Uh, Britain at that time was engaged in a great war against Napoleon, and a lot of the British just expected that the United States would take their side as, say, Canada and Australia did in the 20th century. That they thought that as a former British colony, they should naturally be British allies. But the American leadership thought that, no, we are an independent country, we will have our own policies, we will pursue our own interests, and in their interest was, they thought, to be neutral in that war and to trade with both sides. And this was the real source of the friction. There were a lot of sort of minor issues, the impressment of sailors, the harassment of American ships, but they came down to this question of whether the United States would be fully independent and have its own policy in the world. And the war sort of dragged on for a long time because the British were very heavily involved in fighting Napoleon, were not able to bring the full might of their war machine to bear on the United States. But then in 1812, after they, Napoleon was defeated after his invasion of Russia, the British suddenly had a lot of resources that were freed up and they sent a huge fleet to North America with four of their huge ships of the line, battleships, far bigger than anything the Americans had with essentially the job of bringing the Americans uh, to heel, to have them sign a peace treaty that restored their proper relationship, as the British saw it, with Britain. So they sailed up and down the East Coast, and there was very little the Americans could do about it. Uh, and then they sailed into the Chesapeake Bay, and their mission, again, is not really to conquer the United States, it's to force the United States to sign a peace treaty that's favorable to Britain. So it's a political mission. And among the things they did was they sent their Navy sailing up the Potomac River, their frigates, while they marched overland, and they attacked the city of Washington, and they burned the White House. This act actually ended up being very controversial in Britain, but uh, the point was made to the United States that the British would go where they want and do what they pleased until such time as the Americans signed the treaty that the British wanted. Uh, everyone sort of knew that once the British had attacked Washington, they would go to Baltimore. Baltimore was a very pro-war city. Uh, earlier in the war, there was a newspaper in Baltimore that opposed the war, and a mob of sailors rioted and threw their presses in the harbor. Uh, Baltimore was a seafaring town, and a lot of the issues that came up between the United States and Britain had to do with sailing and seafaring. And then during the war, uh, Baltimore became a big uh, site of privateering, that is sort of uh, federally authorized pirates who attacked British shipping. Uh, Baltimore was one of the main centers of that. And the British Navy hated privateers. Uh, a lot of the officers had personal bad feelings about privateers. So everyone knew that if the British Navy had a chance, they would teach a lesson to Baltimore for not tweaking them in this way. 
So uh, everyone expected that the British would go to Baltimore after burning Washington, and they did. They sailed into the harbor. They could not sail their large ships into the inner harbor at that time because it was too shallow, so they stopped and landed all of their troops down at North Point, several miles outside of town. Uh, the defenders of Baltimore had expected this. Apparently, that was the only convenient way to get an army to attack Baltimore. So they prepared this line of defenses along the eastern side. Uh, the British plan was to attack from land and sea at the same time. That is, they wanted to bring their ships right into the harbor so their cannons, their hundreds of naval cannons, would support the ground assault on the city. That's why they were trying to get past Fort McHenry. They expected that they would make quick work of Fort McHenry. There was a fort that was supposed to block the way to Washington. The British shelled it and it surrendered after 10 minutes. So the British were actually feeling pretty good about themselves and were, had nothing but contempt for the Americans who botched the defense of Washington so badly. So they expected that they would make quick work of Fort McHenry, sail into the harbor, and they would launch this assault on the city. Meanwhile, on the other side, the people of Maryland, the defenders, are very much aware that the British are contemptuous of them and expect to brush them out of the way and burn the city. And they feel like the honor of the United States now rests on their shoulder to make a real stand to show that they won't just be pushed around by the British. And of course, at this time, the British military and Navy in particular is the strongest in the world. They've been fighting Napoleon for 15 years, they have a very veteran force, very well armed and equipped. They have about 4,500 men. There are about 15,000 mainly militia gathered to defend the city, but the British did not mind those odds at all. They thought their men were so much better and more professional that they would easily defeat the Americans. So that's the setup for the Battle of Baltimore, and it's why the American victory in that battle, the retreat of the British, was, uh, had such wide repercussions, why it was so celebrated all across the United States, why the Star-Spangled Banner, once it's written, is immediately printed in newspapers all around the country as everyone felt that the city of Baltimore had defended the honor of the United States and stood up to the British and shown them that we could not be pushed around, they could not burn our cities at will, and that we would be and insist on being a fully independent country. Can you tell us a little bit about how the archaeologists were selected for this project? Yeah, this is uh, Johns with Baltimore Heritage again. And I think uh, you just heard one of the reasons uh, that we chose the Lewis Berger Group. Um, you know, uh, 200 years ago, Baltimore, whether you were a slave, whether you were an immigrant, whether you were an aristocrat, man or woman, you got out and you dug that trench and you prepared for the defense of Baltimore City. And we feel that it was one of the high points in Baltimore's history, uh, one of the high points in Maryland's history, and indeed one of the high points in, uh, in our country's history. Uh, and when we were figuring out how to actually get this project done, we knew we wanted people who were passionate about it as well. Um, uh, we did look nationally around the country for firms, and we had interest from for, uh, archaeologists all over, all over the country. Um, and we knew we wanted uh, folks who could technically do the work. The, the digging part is the, um, the high-profile, really sexy stuff. There is a lot of not-so-sexy stuff that goes into it, um, uh, uh, including writing reports um, and doing a bunch of research, uh, which I have to add as, a, as an aside. Uh, we're here in the library right now, and a lot of the uh, material that we gathered um, and the Lewis Berger group gathered a lot of the historic photographs, 
uh, came from the Pratt collection and uh, both the collection and the librarians uh, the collection is wonderful and the librarians um, I have to say are, are maybe even more wonderful in helping out getting uh, getting matching the need with the resource there um, so with uh, with the help of many friends uh, uh, we did select the Berger group uh, and I have to say sort of one more thing in addition to being technically uh, technically good at what they do, PhDs in ground penetrating radar. Uh, we wanted to make sure that the the folks who were going to be out there in the field uh, embraced the fact that this was a community project. And a lot of times, archaeology is not done in a community. It's done uh, it's done out in a field somewhere, or a forest, or by the side of a stream somewhere. And we wanted to we wanted to feel comfortable. Uh, that when the dog walkers came up and asked questions, they would be embraced. When the 901st school kid asked the same question, uh, that it's just important, just as important to get a, a wonderfully rich answer as it was the first school kid who asked that question. Uh, and so we wanted to make sure that the folks really embraced that community side of it. Uh, and I think that we could not have found a better, better group and a better group of partners, um, including all the research facilities here, uh, here in the city. And Frank, how did PNC get involved with this project? Well, quite simply, from my fellow panel member here, Johns Hopkins, he sent a request to PNC for sponsorship of their Patterson Park War of 1812 archaeology and outreach project. And PNC looks to get involved in very unique projects like this that will bring visitors, bring uh, folks to a particular part of the cities where we serve, or uh, if they've never visited Baltimore, this, this is a project that might bring someone to Baltimore to, to try to engage in Baltimore and learn more about its history. So we can sponsor the, the golf tournaments and things like that, but we really get excited about unique projects like this where visitors will come and, and, and see a part of Baltimore and maybe view their city in a, in a way that they had not in the past. And what is the PNC Legacy Project? Our Legacy Project is a comprehensive initiative that we have designed to honor, document, and preserve the history of predecessor banks, the employers, the officers, and the other folks who guided them and the communities they serve. So the stories of these banks are documented through displays and they showcase distinctive artifacts and images as well as oral histories of our predecessor banks. How can we learn more about the Patterson Park Archaeology Project? Yeah, this is, this is John's again. I just have to say we were with one of your predecessor banks, uh, Mercantile, for, for many years uh, and, uh, and uh, happy then and happy now. <laughs> so one more thanks here. Um, we, if you're uh, anybody out there who's interested in, um, in this project, uh, we have a, probably the easiest way is a website, um, baltimoreheritage.org. We have a whole section called We Dig Hampstead Hill. I hope that people appreciate the humor in that one. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a, a wonderful collection of historic and contemporary photographs. There's information about the War of 1812. There's information about what we found. Um, one of the stories uh, that, uh, that we're highlighting, uh, the butcher's shop, Loudon Slogger's butcher shop, 
um, which was the first first butcher on Butcher's Hill, which the neighborhood is now uh, surrounding it is called. Um, we know that he was there uh, early on, uh, uh, before the War of 1812. Um, we also know that a young slave named Frederick Douglass, one of the first things he did when he came to Baltimore is that his master asked him to uh, march a herd of sheep up, uh, up Hampstead Hill to Loudon Slogger's butcher shop. So, uh, so we know that it has um, this area and these artifacts have, uh, have a, a number of layers of meaning. Um, the site was an early butcher shop with this really great connection with you know, one of the leading abolitionists and one of the leading Americans uh, ever. Uh, it's got a rich connection with the War of 1812. It was also the site of a Civil War Union camp and we found artifacts, belt buckles, from that, that era as well. So as we look moving forward, uh, although the digging part of the project is done um, with artifact displays and with our ongoing website uh, and ongoing work with the, uh, with the city school system, we're hoping to be able to continue to tell uh, the many layers of history that are, that are on what we now call Patterson Park. And how can we learn more about the PNC Legacy Project? Unfortunately, we don't have a website where, where guests could go and learn more about our legacy project. They'd have to visit one of the cities where our exhibits are located, so either here in Baltimore, Annapolis, Washington, D.C., Fredericksburg, Virginia, or Pittsburgh. And in each of those locations, the, we tell the story of the banks, of the predecessor banks, through museum quality exhibits and rare and historic documents and photographs and wall coverings. So the collection, for example, in Baltimore includes images of the Great Baltimore Fire from 1904, and there's an adding machine that dates back to 1895. Lots of historical documents from the Civil War and including a copy of a ransom note for the city of Frederick. So these exhibits can be found throughout the floors at our administrative building at Pratt and Light Streets here in Baltimore. And then again, if you go to our other uh, cities like Annapolis, Washington, D.C., and so on, you'll see the PNC Legacy Project in, in those branches there. Great. Thank you. John, Johns, Frank, thank you very much. Thanks to the Enoch Pratt Library for the use of their facility.